Hello and welcome to Mint Podcast, where David, Sean and Sarah, and as part of our Minterview series, we are this week also joined by a man who knows more about Belgian wonder kids than the 2011 Chelsea Scouting Network, specialist scout and recruitment analyst for Market Insights Football Consultancy, Andy McGregor, or as you may know him on Twitter, El Pivote Football. We discuss with Andy Everton's youth development dilemma, scapegoat culture within the fan base, the brand of Marcel Brands, and most importantly, we find out Andy's floor preference in the crazy house. You gotta understand that uh, your father has plans for you. Now, many times, he and I have talked about your future. Talk to my father about my future. My future. Mikey, he has high hopes for you. Well, I have my own plans for my future. Today we're joined by Andy McGregor, Specialist Scout and Recruitment Analyst for Market Insights Football Consultancy Services and Everton Aficionado. Welcome to the pod, Andy. You okay? Thank you very much for inviting me. Love Hi, Andy. Hey, Andy. And we've also got uh, myself, Sean and Sarah, as per usual, unfortunately for everybody. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going we're gonna to dive straight in. So it's early December and Anthony Gordon has featured in only one of our 10 league games. What's happening with our player pathway, Andy? And do we even have a youth development plan? So, yes, we do, but, you know, we do and we don't, I guess. I think I read an interview with John Eppel the other week that was, let's, let me just say, it was quite a fury, and I think everything's been reset this year, and I think part of it is trying to bridge that gap between the, the, the uh, 23s and their team. I think it's going to take a couple of years, I'm going to be honest with you, before it fixes itself. There's, there's, there's quite a number of issues, you know, in terms of trying to get Everton to be you know, close to Lincoln. They've only just started playing like Old Mirror in the first team style. And they've only just really put an Everton DNA in, in, into the club really in 2020. So it's going to take a while before it happens. I think, unfortunately for Anthony Gordon, is Carlo's the manager who trusts experience. Uh, and he's not been, and, and with Bernard Awobi and others being fit, he's, he's not been, he's not, you know, been getting game time. I know that's the much of the sugar into the, of the fans, but it, it's, it's just something you'll have to take with Carlo being manager. That's just part of his MO. So, with discussion on that DNA, what exactly are we looking to proceed with post twenty twenty, and how how is that going to how is Ebrill going to integrate that DNA from from lower down into the first team? So I think from the under thirteens, the plan is to play and have a style that goes through. So it'll be a mix between of what we know as Everton, so you know, London Thunder, Steel, work rate, getting you know, putting effort in all over the pitch, a bit you know, maybe a bit direct as well, but also playing out from the back, playing through the lines quicker. You know, bit more. You know, bit more triangles. You know, more movements off the ball. I think. I think it's going to be a hybrid of. You know, what well, the pair. What the ideal is is that a Spanish German style mixed with the you know the British mentality of how we play. So, and if you can maximise that, that's the, that's the winning combination. But I think that's the Everton DNA that they're going for. Do, do you think that as a juxtaposition to Carlo a little bit in terms of long term planning and Carlo maybe in essence isn't a long-term manager in, in the in the sense of the word in which you would say he's at a certain age bracket and you know with the integration of some of a plan going from the 13s upwards is this going to progress past Carlo in regards to a, a plan long term how long term are you thinking this could could last could this be sort of our most chaos club 
I, I think that this is this is a bit a big period for Everton. I think this should have been done three years ago, really. I'm, I'd, I'd be truthfully honest, but I think the issue is I think Machiri's come into the club and he, he wanted to get us into the elite quite quickly. And you see, he's tried a number of different things. And I think Carlo, in, in one way, is a, a not a last throw of the dice because obviously there's always more options. But I think that he, this is the big throw of the dice where we try with the man who's done everything in the game to try and get it to the and in theory, then start working things off the back of that. But I think Marcel Brands has convinced the club finally by bringing, bringing Chris Perkins to head up recruit, uh, youth recruitment from Derby. But now is the time to put those building blocks and see the club pass Carlo. Because obviously Carlo's going to be a short term, but we need to have, you know, you know Everton need to keep producing players long after the, the cupboard can't be bare. Because if we're signing Alan, Hammers types who are about you know, 29, nearly 30, we need to be thinking of the future because we can't sell it. We're not going to sell them for profit. Let's be honest. We have to have young players coming through all the time to replace to come into the team, much like a Leicester have done, much like you know what your Wolves have done and others. Andy, with like keeping the first team to one side at the minute, and you just meant you mentioned John Ebrell, was it with the sort of Everton DNA? Is that the person Evertonians should be looking at um, in relation to that Everton DNA, or is that going to be filtered from? Marcel Brands, let's say, where 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 should Evertonians be looking to kind of see those changes? So I guess David Unsworth is now the, the head of the academy, if you will. So it, he would be okay. the overseer of it all. And then you'd have John Ebel, who's head of coaching. So he would then implement the coaching philosophy of, the, you know, from from up, you know, from the ages up. I know people have, you know, had criticisms in the game of Everton's way of doing things, having the young, you know, the under eights, sort whatever, of play on full-size pitches, which, as we know, that's not really used to be playing smaller pitches they have to deal with the ball under pressure and so on and then Chris Perkins who's now re- revamping the entire recruitment of, of, of I think it's 13 to 18 which he thinks is a big area area because a lot of players fall, fall out of elite clubs which are above Everton at the moment and he thinks that we can pick up good players there so that's why we're doing that Andy, with you saying um, this should have been done three years ago there's no point in, in talking about something because we can't go back and change it where do you think the problem lies with that who who would you think is to blame for that and was there a reason that it that it wasn't in place three years ago and we're now we're in this this sort of same position that we've been for for a long time i think i think i've, I've said this before i think you know you know but far happy he's been great forever and the fact that he's bankrolled us and you know he's you know he's built a new stadium for us there's no denying that's been a great thing but i think he as an owner he's not been hands-on in the sense that he should have empowered people to push the club on with the infrastructure and putting things in place for the long term. I think it's been very much season to season where with Koeman we backed him over those two seasons trying to make Europe. We didn't first season, we sold the car and then we obviously had that terrible time in Europe and then we haven't been in Europe since. I think it's just been too short term of a plan. I think if you look at other clubs, you know, like I'll bring up Leicester again. Leicester work both as the, on a first team level and as, on, on an under twenty, you know, as a youth level. But it's all one higher. It's all one plan flowing down. So they won't buy players if they're blocking, you know, the left back or the block of the right back. They've got come on, They've got Luke Thomas, for example, left back. So once they sold Chilwell, we signed Castan. You can play in a number of positions, but they've also got Luke Thomas who's pushing the first team. And you can see now with the, the, the depth in our squad. We haven't got those players pushing through because, like he's mentioned, the pathway isn't there. And, and I think this is something Everton needs to be conscious of. The squad is sure because we haven't got those players pushing. And we've, and we've, and we've, you know, we've developed good players, to be honest. Um, just on that point as well with um, John uh, John Ebrill and David Unzo, I just want to dig into it a little bit more. Um, do you think they're equipped to um, input that, instill, it would probably be the word, that DNA into the Everton youth and provide them with that channel? 
Um, and is there any other examples elsewhere where you've seen from your experience where that's been done well? And well, you know, I, I think the, the the prime example would be you know, well, I'll get to that in a minute, but would be it would be Chelsea. Look at Roman Abramovich. They set out a plan, and I'm going to be honest. Chelsea is by far the best academy in England. Even better Manchester City. He's looked the the breadth and, and and depth of talent. They had you know three or four young right backs. Jewish James who's in the first team now, Tyree Clamty, Jashon Sterling, who's played on loan in championship clubs, and they've got another one coming through whose name, name escapes me at the moment. But they, they've got that depth going right back, and it, it, Tammy Abraham, of course, make me some mountain. The way they developed them and prepped them for the first team, using obviously the links with the Tess and others. Yes, that's that's the ideal for me. I think maybe I couldn't do it on a grand as as big a scale because we're not Chelsea. We haven't got that level of money, despite what people think. But I think their their idea of having that pathway to the first teams or using those players to um, not so I wouldn't say subvert, but you know FFP and use those sell those players to get money to help that is a big thing. And now coming to John Apple, uh, coming to John Apple, I'll, I'll just say that he, yes, I think that we have to say he is, but. You know, I, I don't probably, you know, I don't know well enough to say he isn't, but I think he's in place to do that job. Yeah, and, and just just to finalise, because you touched on Chelsea, and we'll stick with that example. Who has obviously Abramovich has been at Chelsea for a long, well, since the early two thousands now, well, mid two thousands, if I can say that. Um, who's been doing that position there, and who's been effective for Chelsea and in that John Eberle position? I'm explicitly talking about now. Well, the the, the academy was used to be headed by um, Joe Edwards, who I think is now a part of the coaching first team. Jody Morris, who is now part of the first team, who went with Frank Lampard. Uh, Eddie Newton, who I think is now a coach in Turkey, but he's left. But they were they were the ones in place for years, and I can't remember the head of the academy's name. It escapes me, but. It, the whole plan is from the top down. So they had Michael Emanalo, who was the director of football. He oversaw the transfers and everything coming together. And obviously now they've got Brenna Skaya, <laughs> and she oversees it all now. And it, it's, it's basically hierarchical decision making. Obviously, in the ideal way, it'd be Brands with then Carlo, the head of Greta Stanton, Chris Perkins, and then obviously David Unsworth under him, and they would all come together to plan everything forward. But unfortunately, I think the owner likes to do things his own way at times. So you mentioned Tammy Abraham there, Andy, and you know he's been a been on loan at Swansea, uh, Bristol City, and Villa, didn't he? Um, do you feel that is something that our under twenty three structure has not utilised to the extent that maybe a more successful academy structure has done previously, finding the right loans for players and giving them the right platform to be able to challenge first team places with appropriate experience, whether it's at home or even abroad, um, in regards to being able to cement a first team place without having to look at high profile or high profiling. I'm using quotation marks because we we we've been quite lax with that phrase really with our signings, but without having to go out and sign a a, a middle of the road player for a large fee, is that something that we really want to be doing now, moving into twenty twenty? Yeah, I think the, the key the key is to to look at those opportunities. I think Everton have been you know quite lax in the loans, and I've I've been quite vocal about this. I think by the time a player's twenty, it's too late already. They played too much under twenty yeah. season. You can you can stall at that level. Now, don't be wrong. You can train with the first team, and that that is good for a player's development. However, playing in front of crowds against experienced pros who test you different ways every week is the only way to really improve. And I think that I did a little bit. This, I think, if if you're not in the first team by your 18, or at least out on loan by 19, it's very unlikely that you'll become Premier League regular. 
and you, you know, I, I went through the to someone I went through the England squad the other week. I think the eighty percent have been out on loan. Yeah. So, in terms of the uh, going out on loan, getting match day experience, you know, the we have some smaller teams, even currently in Europe now, who are doing that more successfully than than we are with a smaller budget in regards to the way the, the way the club is run at least. Is there any smaller clubs around Europe that you'd like to see? Like not I'm not necessarily saying, you know, copy a model, but a model of a similar structure to be able to form our own uh, scouting network in regards to bringing in players and sending out players at the same time. This would have been easy a couple of days ago but before the way of payments completely <laughs> but yes I would like to see you know if you look obviously the prime example which is obviously an overarching one would be the you know the, the RB model now I'm not saying Everton could do that because that's quite difficult but in principle if Everton bought a club in say Belgium then you would all not only would you be able to send your Tyler on Yangos, you Lewis Dobbins with Thierry Smalls there. It's a good experience. You'd also be able to park players there for a year or two until they got the requisite number of points to come and play in the Premier League then, because that's going to become more difficult. So it's a two-fold operation there now. Do I think Everton are a well-placed to be able to you know, organise and run an operation like that currently? I'm going to say no, I'll be honest. I think it, it, we're still in the process of sorting things out. Again, I know that's frustrating for people to hear, but yeah, I think... That's something we should look to in the future. Every every club should do. I think Man United will really need to be doing it today. It is frustrating, isn't it? Because it's kind of as if we know we have the facilities to be able to implement a platform like that, and we know we have the the bank account to be able to bankroll some sort of structure. And it just is. It's as if we've not been able to get our our house in place quick enough. And it seems like we're always playing a a, a reactive sort of game with 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 all platforms whether it's recruitment whether it's managerial whether it's player acquisition it always feels it's reactive opposed to long-term plan it always seems like maybe next year everything will become irrelevant and it'll have a refresh i think it is what you're saying there in regards to the positivity around let's let's focus on now let's see where it goes soon i think that's probably i think every evertonian difficult as it may be within our own fan base to just have the patience to to try and let it unfold. Uh, you did mention though, in regards to it'll be a mix between an Ebrill, a brands, you know, our, our Everton DNA. That combat between brands and what is an Everton DNA from the hierarchy, could that be a possible problem with the structure in place and moving it forward? It has been, yes. So <clears throat> Usually, in the way a, a director of football works is that the director of football is the head of all over the old departments, and usually, he usually, I'll say usually, selects with with obviously the blessing of the the, the owner, the, the 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 coach, the head of academy, whatever. That that, that is the usual structure. For example, Monchi, for ultimate power, obviously, he's earned that power. I don't think <laughs> friends in some people's eyes has, but he has the ultimate power. John Rubkin uh, uh, Leicester again, same thing. Uh, but the problem with Everton is so you've got. Marcel Brands, who was employed to be director of football, you got Carlo Ancelotti, who was employed by the owner. Not Brands didn't run the search for Carlo Ancelotti, that was the owner. David Unsworth is a favourite of Bill Kenwright and Lee Sparrow Baxendales. They and they they believe that he's done a good job in the academy. That's for people to decide whether two trophies, not many first team, you know, players coming through is which which is the more important. Let's be honest. So yeah, it's it's a bit of a, a bit of a mess really in that sense, and I think. I think Everton have struggled to, and you know, to you to utilise the director of football. Don't be wrong, Brands hasn't hasn't been perfect. Let's be honest there. I don't think he's he's been lights out, but I think he, his job has been made much more difficult by 
the different part, you know, I'm not saying there's not a power struggle, but the different elements of the different voices in the room, it seems to be. Previously, at the clubs he's worked, that I guess they're giving sort of omnipresent power to brands, aren't they? Long term, you know, Altmar PSV. He's what has he done? He's done 20 years. The first role was technical director at Valreich. Don't, I'm not even 100% sure whether I've pronounced that appropriately. And then he's moved through as director of football at the previous two clubs. Do you feel that? What 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 should we be utilising from brands? What what could he bring to us that we're not utilising him? That we have got a, maybe we've got a card that we're not using because of the structures in place. What could brands do for us? It's an overarching football strategy, really. You know, it's 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 basically aligning everything so they all sing on the same hymn sheet. So you've got you know you're signing players. And you're thinking, well, this is what he did well at PSV. It's an easy example. When he knew that certain players were leaving, like Steve Bergwijn, he knew that he had Cody Gakbo, Mohamed Hassan, and really good players coming through. And Daniel Marlon, who replaced Luke De Jong when he went to Sevilla. See, there's this transition of a plan there. Whereas I think at Everton at the moment, it's this season we're signing this players and we're going for Europe. And the, the, what's coming up behind doesn't really matter, you know. I think we'll probably sign maybe one or two, you know, one or two wingers in the future, and that'll probably put Anthony Gordon again further away, from, unless he makes a massive step or it's hard because you need those opportunities. And I think an overall an arch of football strategy where it goes from brands, the manager is is ahead of the first team, and you've got better stance who's head of recruitment, and then you've got uh, the mix between. Um, Chris Perkins and, and David Unsworth Academy level of recruitment and coaching. That's how it should be overarched. But at the moment, I think there's a lot of different factors because probably people were there before and Bill Kenwright obviously loves David Unsworth because he won the 1995 FA Cup. And, you know, it, 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 it's just Everton's a, a club with a lot of different people and with their hands in the ball, really, in a sense. In we like, oh no, sure. Yeah. Yeah, Go just on. I want to touch on some points um, that you mentioned earlier in relation to sort of like transfer policy and signing players and obviously work permits that's the element that's coming into it now um, I read an interesting article by Jack Lang um, the other day on um, Shakhtar Donetsk's um, transfer policy um, in um, obviously they target uh, Brazil and they've been very effective now for over a decade and obviously my listeners are very sick of me saying I'm living in Canada now but I'm still going to mention it um, because I got see Canada. Personal listeners. Yeah, yeah, my own <laughs> yeah. personal listeners. He's got like um, he's got like a Fra- he's got like a Fraser Cheers spin-off pod that he's yeah. not told us about. I'm like, cool. yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I look at Jonathan David at Lille and Alfonso Davies um, coming, obviously from well, Alfonso Davies in particular coming from Vancouver to Bayern now, and I see Canada as such a great untapped uh, market as well as um, the MLS is always improving every year, and. Um, with 2026, they're going to be hosting the Joint World Cup across North America. So on the back end of that, I'd expect like the London Olympics in 2012, a lot of investment and stuff goes in before it, and a lot of success comes out on the back end. Um, so my question to you is, what in relation to those transfer policies and markets, sort of obviously you 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 have a good anal- analytic view, an analytical view across all different markets from looking at different players. What markets excite you the most for the youth and talent coming out and where do you think Everton should be looking towards because obviously it's highly competitive in Europe is there any sort of unknowns maybe that you can bring like the number one would be France France is like a million miles ahead of everyone in terms of development you know you look at players who've you know who the RB have picked up in the two centre-backs Canate Upamecano and I think they paid for all three less than three million total 
And then players are all worth at least, I'd say, 40 million for the two centre-backs and Kelly's probably worth maybe 30 for a right-back. And Everton have got two scouts in France now. That's, that's part of the, the new remit. And we've, we've changed slightly from Central Europe's more where we're looking at. But I think Brazil's producing a lot of good players. It's a much different landscape now, Brazil, in terms of they produce a lot more European-style players. I think when we were young, all of us, we all remember the wonderful sides, 94, 98, you know, free-flowing attack and football. They produce a lot more box-to-box midfielders, defensive midfielders like Alan, for example, you know, much stronger centre-backs. So the, the, the way they've developed players has changed. Still got a couple of flair players, but that's an exciting market. Argentina, not so much anymore, but it once was. It, 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 it less, but there's still some good players there. Um, I'm trying to, I like well, the MLS I was going to say, what emerging markets do you see out of the classics, taking all the classic footballing nations out, like I think like Asia, maybe like China's got a Super League now, um, obviously Korea, you look at Sonnet, um, and obviously we had Jisung Park before that as a Premier League icon, like top, but like, uh, and obviously Australia, different. There's so many different parts of the world, isn't there? Like, is there any other exciting emerging markets? I'd say America's, but you know, I was going to say America's yeah. probably. I know America's produced some good players, like Pulisic in the last few years. Because I think the level of the MLS, because they've added those South American influence, and you know, they've, all the generation of Adidas stuff that they've done, and the, the youth, the investments in youth. I think they've actually started developing some good players now. Whether the Premier League level players straight off the bat, okay, maybe not, but producing some really good. I think they're under the level players they've got under twenty three, really, really good. A couple of good centre backs, Mark McKenzie, uh, Trusty plays in Philadelphia as well. There's some good real sorry, plays in Colorado, Trusty, uh, Keita who plays in sorry, Keith as well. Some really good young players, and I think you mentioned Canada. Like there's a couple of players like from Canada as well. So they, they, they are. I think where there's investments in the game, they are improving, but still. The powerhouses still are producing the more players, and it reflects the number of players you appear in the top flight with in terms of how many players they produce. So we've discussed brands, Kenwright development, you know, club hierarchy, culture, if you want to call it, a change of culture that we want to see in in twenty twenty one and moving forward. But as a fan base, I mean, I'm sure we all know we we like to find. We like to find the scapegoat a little bit, don't we, when we're not performing? And I feel, to some extent, Brands has come come out a little bit as that from parts of our fan base. Um, what what is it about us? Is it our lack of success in in the in the, in the well relatively long term now, if you want to call it that, um, that wants us to try and find somebody to plant blame on when maybe a different thought would actually bring more success in the long term? I think patience is really key, and I, and I think that's a tough way for a lot of Everton fans to take it because we've waited 25 years, and it is, it, it, it's really tough, but you don't get anywhere without putting infrastructure and plan and, and processes and plan and, and, and seeing them through in place. And I think too often you saw that we just rip it up and change. So at the moment, Marcel Brands, like you say, is the, the scapegoat. He, he never signed with Charles. That was Marcus Silva. He never, he wasn't even in the room, according to someone that was done. <laughs> you know, just some crazy, you know, really, you know, he despite his director of football. So, you know, th- these type of things are levelled at them. But then when I see Marcel Brands goes, who's next? It'll be Carlo. And then it'll be the next director of football. It, it's a cycle. Yeah. It's a continuum. It's a cycle of negativity. We can never get out of it, I think. We're not exactly, we're not going to get relegated. So we need to start like making baby steps. I think people want to see us basically go from 10th to 4th. There's no in-between for a lot of people. Yeah. And unless we get, that in- guess we get to there, they're just going to be disappointed. So it, it is very difficult. I don't, I don't know what your thoughts on that. 
Do, do you think the club's expectations are different to the fans? Is there much difference between the two? No, because I think Machiri's the edict is they have to make Europe. I think based on the finances, I think, you know, obviously people know the ask. He's obviously, I think that him and others have forecast that Everton are probably going to lose another 77 million roughly this year. Now, I know FFP's been slightly suspended, but it'll, it'll all catch up with us the year after. And I think we're running close to FFP and the Premier League the profitability sustainability rules also running close to it. It makes us harder for to chain over the squad because we can't, we have to sort of start moving players out before we start bringing players in. And I think that's been an issue. I think that, I think, well, after that big spend, we've been chasing our tail really since 2007. Quite in a short term now. And I think the fans, I think the club is unfortunately quite similar to the fans that expect they expect to see that big jump. But for all the investment, five hundred million, you would expect that, and it hasn't worked out that way. But you would, you would, you would probably attune like our lack of patience to maybe to some extent the inability of certain players that you would assume would maybe really stamp down an authority and a and a. And a <laughs> I don't want to use the word brand because <laughs> we've used brands a lot, but maybe a, a an affiliation with the fan base. I'm personally thinking Tom Davis. I see Tom Davis as a as a failure of Everton's inability to plan and provide an appropriate pathway for it for an academy player. I what I'm given. I want to give Tom Davis time. I like Tom Davis. I I can to some extent see what he brings to the team as a player. You know. Is that a problem though for young academy players with our fan base not being able to give anybody time? And is all that going to do cause a Ross Barkley type of problem? And and we will lose what could be a potential player in two three years time because they don't want to sit themselves within that atmosphere. Yeah, I think I think there's a there's a weirdness with the, you know I say weirdness. It's quite hard to explain that, but with the way the academy lads are treated when they come up. So at this moment, Andy Gordon, for example, in this honeymoon period where he's Pele essentially to fans, they're not seeing him. So yeah. He's great because they haven't seen him. But if he has a couple of bad games, because people have built him up, there'll be other, there'll be those who'll turn on him. So like Tommy had that great start, and then he had like you know he's had three managers in four years. How can he ever get any cohesive? Yeah. Maybe one manager's come in and said you're a box to box with the other. Next manager, you're a six. And mm-hmm. the player, he's not getting a consistent message to develop. I think the up and downness of the club, in a sense, is, is affected. Tom, I think the last two times I've seen him forever, he's been good, so really good. Yeah. I think he didn't do any, any harm last week. I think, you know, that's recency bias. But I, I have always been a Tom Davis fan because I think he, you know, I think. I think he just gets a raw end of the stick for the, for the club's failures, and I think we blame him. But I think he, I think there's nobody. I'd rather see many other players go than Tom Davis from Everton. I think. Do you think it could do Tom Davis good for his career though to maybe be maybe go out on loan? Um, and that, that, I'm not saying that because I want to see him go out on loan. I want to see him as part of the first team. But I'm thinking long term in terms of I want to see Tom Davis as part of the next ten years of Everton Football Club. Yeah, I think that there's. I think he'd love it. I think imagine Tom going to Italy, Germany, or France. You know, he's, he's such a, an individual. Love the culture and stuff like that. I think it'd do really well. I think outside that Everton bubble as well, it really tests his abilities. And I, I know John Joe Kenny hasn't come back and been great, but I think that was one of the best loans ever had for many years. You mm. saw the fact that Schalke didn't have a right back. He goes there, plays every game. Now he doesn't. He, we, we have to see whether he was right. He was the right player for us, and maybe he isn't John Joe. Let's be honest, but. 
it raised his profile you know around Europe so it, it did him well and I think Tom the same if he goes away and he does really well he comes back we give him a chance and if we decide that he hasn't done well and he's not fussed then he'll have to be moved on you know I'd like to, to stay but I think you get to a point where for Tom's career forget Everton it's, it's a yeah. turning point now he has to decide for himself what he wants to do do you think it's too late for him to do that, to go out on loan? Do you think it's it's gone past that point now? At a certain level, yes, I would say. I think that he could go out on loan and come back now um, if he was going to a top five league. I think people think seems to think he's a championship player. I've rolled my eyes at that one. But if he went to a lower level, I think that could really stunt him because I think that's a step back in it mentally. I think it's very dangerous when you bring players up and send them down. I think it can affect them. You know, I think you'd need to go somewhere where to test them at a higher level. What would you it's do a, with Anthony then? Would you? Sorry, David. Would you? No. Sure. Would, would would you put Anthony in that? Uh, uh, yeah, I think I'd, he'd have to go on loan. Now I don't think I, I, I watched both of them for when they played for the under twenty threes, and I think Tom is a, a much higher caliber prospect. I'll be honest. You know, in terms of his, his physical readiness and in terms of the way he sees the game and his intelligence on the pitch, so I think Anthony would benefit from a championship loan or another like a hot, a hot Dutch loan. Maybe players have done well there, whereas I think Tom needs to go to a higher level at the moment. But yes, I'd like to see they go out in January and play somewhere. Okay. So are you thinking in terms of that that move? It'd have to be to a to a Wolfsburg or a Werder Bremen, or, or I'm all, only thinking of those two clubs in terms of most recent English acquisitions from players coming in. So the Reese Oxford going to Gladbach and um, you know Aaron Hickey, British players moving abroad. I can see myself sort of Tom going abroad, getting his own little Vice series on Channel Four, following around. I'd watch that definitely, to be quite honest too, with you. Yeah. And if and if Anthony Gordon is the next Pele, I hope he's putting his friendly goals on his on his goal scoring <laughs> tally as well. To be honest with you, and street so, goals, street goals, yeah, goal, goals, goals, goals against the brick wall that he's been playing on. So I, I just think um, move, moving with what you just said there, you know, finding those appropriate loans for players. What ideal bracket is it then? For a player, for let's say a, a player coming through, let's say a Thierry Small coming through the academy, what what pathway plan would you put in place for Thierry? Would it be a specific loan to a level between an age period, and then that plan is? Yeah, I think Thierry's what sixteen now, so I think he. The issue is he's too good already for the under eighteens, and if you've ever watched under eighteens, no one tackles, so it's a bit. You know, that's why Alison scored only forty goals there, and it's no one tackles. Yeah. <laughs> I think people get caught up in the numbers. I can go into big detail on that, but but the key factor is too good. He goes to the under twenty threes and he spends a year there because then he'll, he'll be the closest to eighteen, and I think then you decide is he ready to push the first team. Probably not because we've got Niels and Conku and Luca, Luca Dean maybe in a year's time. We'll see what happens with Luca Dean, of course. Then you go, okay, so we get a loan. I think that, you know, Holland is always a good place to start. I, my favourite, you know, loan pathway was Mason Mount. He went to Vitesse for a year, did well, went to Derby in the Championship, they were a promotion chasing side, and then went to Chelsea. And that's really the step up in level, I think. That's really good yeah. rather than going to lower champ, lower champ, lower champ. I think you need to step up. If they do well at a certain level, they need to step up. Like Kieran Dahl did well at Forest, for example. And then I just think his next couple of loans really hurt him, if I'm honest. And that can happen to players. So Everton, really, when you think about it, should be looking for like partnering with clubs who are looking to push from the Championship to the Premiership to loan players to those clubs because hopefully it'll put them in that good right mindset to progress and hopefully get pitch time if they're good enough, obviously. We look at Lewis Gibbs, unfortunately. He's not the, we've sent him on loan to Red, and I think this is where Everton needs to get better. I think Redden have already had four or five centre-packs when he's gone there, and it's... 
this is the thing where I think it seems like Liverpool, and I know we hate to praise them, but <clears throat> Julian Ward, who's their loans manager, is one of the best in the business. The way the research they do and the, the conversations they have, they can almost assure that they look at Harvey Elliott at Blackburn, for example. They can assure them game time and development, whereas I think Everton don't have that seeming at the same cachet or do the same level of research and we don't tend to do good loans for whatever reason we've seen some lads out and they you know, floundered Benningamy when he went to Blackpool for example, Wigan, for example it's foresight isn't it it's always thinking ahead and we always seem to be catching up it's the opposite isn't it yeah, I think that's you know it is disappointing sometimes to think about Evan. I think it's such a club of such potential and you look how rabid the fan base is and how much we want it and sometimes it, it help ourselves with, with certain things you'll go into you know we spoke before about you know uh, you know overseas fans and all and so sometimes we wish the club would do more but it, it, it's it sometimes it seems quite happy to be just a Premier League club in some ways it's the reality yeah, we live in isn't it well it's it like you're highlighting if anything the complexities of a football club and it's good to shed light and for listeners to understand that it's more than just Marcel Brands making a few signings <laughs> and Ancelotti picking up the phone it's there's many different cogs in the system to work and um, yeah it's really cool to understand so thanks for sharing all that stuff no no problem i think Everton have got have got to look at the infrastructure and the, and the hierarch i call it hierarchical decision making i think that's a big thing that they need to do i think too often, I think I think the the owner certainly likes to involve a strength cage of action in certain things. He's been involved in a couple of deals with Everton. I think you, when you employ people and empower them to do the roles that you've you've, you've brought them in to do, Carlo, Marcel, Brands, and others. You mentioned there again, uh, like Mason Mount at Chelsea, and it feels drastically that Chelsea went from Ivanovic, uh, John Obi Mikel. You know, players pushing the late pushing thirties, going into the late thirties, and with that loan structure they put in place, they very quickly moved their average squad age down at not not just a couple of years, by down at, but to another level of the pyramid. They've moved it down a bracket, haven't they? It's as if like they could, in theory, if their players don't maybe perform as successfully as they expect them to, they still have sell on value because they performed at lower level. So they they have a they have a quality and they have a an impact for teams underneath Chelsea to say, right, we see the value in them if they're not making it at Chelsea because they have made it at this level. You know, is that something, the, the squad age of Everton, that we noticed with Brands when he first came in, it was, what, under 26? Yeah, he wanted, wanted sell-on sell. value. I'm all about sell-on value. I'm a big sell-on value fan. I think you need to have it. It's Yeah, it's a, bus- it's a business model, though. Whichever way you want to look at it, it's mm-hmm. in football is a business. And you won't do well in business if you do not, look ahead six months, a year, three months, ten years. Do Everton still need to progress with that brand's model of, of the, the squad age and bring in player consistency? In? Yes, my big thing is that Everton do need to look at that 26 and under. You need to... People think, why should we care about players who are just trying to sell? It's not that we want to sell them. We want them to come here and do well. Obviously, if they, you know, like Lukaku, if we sign him for £28 million and he's our best player for three years, we can then sell him for £75 million. We had three, you know, we had a long, good couple of years out of Rom, and I think don't be wrong, we'd love, we'd love them to stay, but that's the type of. At the end of the day, I haven't got the benefits as well as getting the money at the end to replenish, and we didn't use it well. But I think, like Sarah mentioned before, that's foresight. I think that, that that's that's really key. I think you do need to look ahead. I think you do need to plan ahead. And I think Everton have signed, you know, Hamez twenty nine, Alan twenty nine. You know, in a couple of years, when Everton, we we, we think we're going to be challenging for trophies, then players are out of their peak then. 
So I know they're trying to get us to the peak, but then when we're trying to replace them, we won't be able to move them on for money. I understand the logic of bringing experienced players to get more out of the squad. I just think that we need to be a bit more careful because we need to be a self-sustainable club. Look at you know, look at Leicester. I think they, I've seen some of the day the players they sold recently they bought for twenty-five million, sold for two hundred and fifty million. That's self-sustainable. You know, I know we talk about the stadium yeah. is going to make a massive difference. But really, it's only going to make a twenty million a year difference to us. It's, it's more about the perception of having a brand new stadium in the dock. Yeah, I, I like you know you use Leicester as an example. I always personally think of Atalanta. They're bringing in Hatterboer. They're bringing in players like Pasalic. They're bringing in like Pasalic to some extent. He, he kind of failed a little bit at Milan and then got brought in, played in a played in a system that is being implemented from the ground up. Um, and are we? I get the like we all get the like for like you know, is Rodriguez an improvement on what we had? Yeah, is Allen an improvement on what we had? Yes, but at the same time, are we falling into the same problem and the same issue with signing players that are attuning to a manager opposed to a philosophy at the club? Yeah, because look, I think that's the problem with the squad now. You, you talk about it. We've got players who are from five managers, is it? And you brought in to play five yeah. probably different systems and different roles and. You know, different strengths and different weaknesses to them roles, and I think just is such a mess because it's hard to implement a style. So, whereas if you have one philosophy now, the style can be slightly tweaked, obviously, with every manager, because not every manager the same. But if you sign specific type of players over a number of years, then if, when you treat look like Leicester, and you've got Rogers in, you have Pew, you've had different types of managers, you don't have to seamlessly change, and they've been able to upgrade the style in some ways with Brendan Rogers because those players were pliable. I think with Everton. You know, though we look at now, we've gone to playing wingers again, 4 3 3. We've only got one real winger. That's the imbalance in the squad. I suppose the quick fix players wouldn't necessarily be an issue, would they, with the the cost and, and the age that of them, of them coming in if we had a, a methodology, that system that was in place that when we had the injuries with the older players and, and they sort of were going into that retirement period, that if we just had that system and those players could just drop in either from the academy or sort of just coming up in general. And that, that seems to be the issue, doesn't it, that there's no system? It does, yeah. And I think, you know, we've signed you know, Hammers. He wouldn't be free if there wasn't issues around in his injuries, let's be honest here. I think when I originally put a load of those tweets out in the summer, I was like, we shouldn't sign certain players of a certain age for certain amounts of money. It turns out that we paid less than 25 million for Allen, less than 25 million. So they're not too bad. You know, the Delphs, great million. I've got no problem with things like that. They've improved. I know he's had the year of the fans, but you know, he's not been terrible when he's been on the pitch. He's just injured too much. You've got to think about how you do that. You can't. It's dead money, essentially, and that dead money could cost you. And look at Gilfie Sigurdsson now. Gilfie Sigurdsson, when he played the Swans, he was a good player, but he was never 45. We were bidding against ourselves. And now he's 30, and he's, going to, he's probably going to run his contract out. You can't invest 45 million. Unless he was going to win us the league. That's that's like that's a, that's a game-changing player for having 45 million. You just need to think, be more smart. And don't me wrong. If, I think the fans are buying too much more if, if fans you know, signs have been a success. But without my question, my question to you would be, how can, they've had different managers and brought in for different reasons. How can they be a success if they are not, they can brought in then six months later, a new manager comes in with a completely different philosophy and asking completely different things to them. It's very difficult. When you sign players, you sign them to fulfil a role and they're the best in that role. Like Decorey, for example, um, he played as more of a box-to-box and field there, getting up and getting scrolls. We've seen it once, twice maybe in Everton. Mostly plays as more of a defensive field cover the Hammers. That is not the best use of him. So here my issues with Everton really is that we don't do much change and we don't comfortable in the roles we can buy players for specific roles, unfortunately. So I'll lock that in. 
<laughs> it's it's like we we seem to utilize the square reg. Uh, square peg round hole philosophy don't we we buy the player that is good for the position we buy he is custom to play in but then we don't put him in that position and then fans complain and create a a culture around we we're just like it's it's the player that's not good enough and it's not it's the system that's being implemented is not good enough and it's not a big 17 alex awobi <laughs> I, I i'm 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 an alex awobi fan I, i'm i'm a member of that fan club with you mate and and i think I'm it's just... <laughs> i think it's cri- i think it's criminal and i had to do like and it's not just because he's related to jj akotcha like it's not that that's not why i'm on that's not why i'm gonna die on this hill it's it is it it's a problem that alex awobi is the poster boy at everton four for me and that's and 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 I I want I me personally and, and and the three of us here want to bring those issues to light. That if you look deeper underneath the the surface, that that there is that there is something there as to the reason it's not working for him. He's not just become a he's not just become a player that he, you know he's he's losing consistency. Of course he will because he's not playing in in an appropriate role with games with time in a performance squad as well. Realistically, um, and inconsistency is been rife from hierarchy through managerial appointments through player performances for quite a while hasn't it yeah that, that, that's my that's my with Alex Awobi you know I, I don't want to get too much into him because I think I've said, said more than enough on Alex Awobi but whenever this is the problem with the fans it's very much hindsight bias it's what's happened since he was signed we should never have signed him we should sign Will Sahar and because he's not Will Sahar that's partly one of the reasons why people don't like him but at the time Everton didn't really have any open play creators that was a really big yeah. issue Gilby Sigurdsson's Falsely advertises the replacement for Ross Barkley was never there. So we brought Alex Awobian to have more creativity to the side. And he was 27 million, everyone who wasn't 40, like a lot of people claim. <laughs> yeah. But uh, these, the, but, it's, it's, but because he had an inconsistent start and it was changed from Marcus Silver, he was an announcer side. Start too badly at Everton, got a couple of goals. He did, yeah. came on a couple of games and did well for us. And then he got, after he got that injury, it all went downhill, you know, a little bit sour for him, you know, after that. And it, I think it's very easy to be mean as getting blamed, you know, now for being a poor signer, but he has he was quite good last year. It's it's also recent. I think if you had four if you had four or five good games for Everton, like Mason Hogg, did last season, you're the next big thing with centre back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you have a, you know, once you're in the hole, you've got out 10, 20 man of matches before you get out of the hole. And I think the fans need to just understand that the players do care, but the, you know, it's very hard to if you're a player and you paid a lot of money, but if fans just calling you all sorts all over social media, we've seen Fabian Delph react to it before, and Bernard's come out and spoke about his mental health issues as well. I think there's got to be a conscious effort not to attack players just because we think they've had a bad game, you know, one, but, or we just blame them for every, every loss, even though they're on the bench not playing it. There needs to be more positivity and you know, more of a bright outlook with the fans at The manager seems to be going through the motions at the moment with dropping players into sort of the less favoured position instead of putting in maybe a younger player that is in that that, that would fall into that natural position. What well, why do you think that is and do you feel comfortable with that? Would you prefer sort of a more natural sort of, you know, position player? Don't get me wrong, I, I, I like love to make football more complicated in a lot of ways because that's my analytical nature. But let's be honest, left back you should play a left foot player who understands the nuances of that position. He doesn't come yeah. maybe nineteen in experience, but he understands What's expected of a left back, a left wing back, as he's played there? You drop Alex Awobi in there, immediately he's going to come inside on his right foot. It, 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 it's as you say, square pegs round holes. And I think 
I think the manager's just got to trust younger players. I think I understand they make mistakes and there's inconsistency issues. I understand that Carlo's reputation probably is on the line massively at Everton. It's a, it was a big call for him to take the job because if it goes wrong at Everton, he's probably not going to get a job back in the elite ever, you know, ever again. So I understand this fear, but you, we can't be, you know, I think go overreacting to when players get injured. That we have to start trying to like, play no wingers at Newcastle. That was a hard one to knock. And I think just play, if they're not in form, I understand it. We just, it basically play them and, and then you can turn around to the board and say, I need better. Rather than not losing games for Everton, but putting Everton in situations where there's going to be issues because you're putting players in incorrect positions, really. Tactically, so this far, so far this season, what have you thought of Ancelotti and what sort of expectations should the fan base have on um, his obviously tenure so far? And when would it be fairly for him to be judged? And likewise, I'll dovetail that question with like Alex Awobi as well. From your expectation, when would be a fair time to kind of look at him as a whole as a player and give him enough time, in your opinion? Well, we'll start with Carl. I think this is the mis- misconception with fans. I think a lot of fans look at like clubs like Southampton, Leicester, Wolves, who've all got quite a defined other style of play under their managers. And if you look at Carlo's career, he's never really been a, a definable style man. He's a he's someone who's changed the system to suit the players he's got. And obviously, he's, in, in the past, he's managed some of the greatest players of all time. And it's much easier than trying to compare, you know, Bernard and Alex Wolves and others into these play- match wins. But this is why I think fans have got to understand Carlo Everton needs to buy better players for Carlo Anderson to get the, get the best out of him. He's not a, a Hassan Hutton or he's not a, you know, a Brendan Rodgers. You can get more from less in a lot of ways. I think that's not Carlo's, that's not Carlo's MO. He gets good players to perform and another, te- another couple of percent higher. Sorry, go on, Sean. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to jump in. And like the way he's transit, I've looked at Carlo and like the way he's transitioned tactics from game to game. He expects more dynamism out of his players, doesn't he? Like Alex Arobi. And I know the, the performance haven't been there um, for Alex Arobi to be. But I, like, again, I like him. And I think, if anything, he's shown in that the fact that he is dynamic because he's put in some good performances at those like right wing back, left wing back. Okay, there's work to be done there, but that'll come throughout the season. The more he plays in those different systems under Carlo, he'll understand the the role more. The more games he plays in there, um, so I, I call it really in the sense that you know players expected to come off the bench and change games with five with ten minutes left, and when they get a chance to start, expected to have a nine out of ten performance. Some players need a couple of games to get the you know the shoot you know get 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 work and I think we expect too much of some players sometimes. So when players come in cold like a Bernard, like a Wobi, like a Tom Davis, how much can, can you really expect the top performance out of them? Man's will say yes, they're paid enough, obviously professional footballers, but sometimes you, you just need a run of games. And I think if Tom got a run of games, you know, I think Gomez and, and Gilbert Sigson have proven that this season's not been a season for them. I think Tom should probably either going to play a four three three. He should be that third midfielder, give him a chance, or play, you know, a Wobi or Bernardo, try, try mm. something. But no, I think yeah, expectations of people, you need, you need quick, the, the cohesiveness for start and continuity and effort of lack in, in a lot of ways. And I think to get the best out of these players, they need to be playing in under the same manager for a couple of years. And I, I don't expect Alex to always leave anytime soon. I think, don't be wrong, because I don't think we can sign 11 players in the next window. I think we can sign four or five. So when you start going, Who's going to leave? I think it will be probably just makes something to cup and not leave. So, so on that point that we're not going to sign a full new squad in the next window, <laughs> who is the the one signing that you would like? What position 
who is it and, and why do you want to see that player brought in? Andy? Asking a recruitment analyst is, you know, like asking what, you know, what's your favourite chocolate bar in some ways because obviously they can just get one. And I usually I'd say don't sign anyone generally, but I'll, I'll, I'll just for fun, I'll, I'll, I'll play along. So for me, there'll be two players and they both play the same role. So right wing, I think we're really short of time and it's in pace. And, you know, I'll, I'll go with the, the more rarefied one and the one that people, maybe people don't know is, is Crepin Diaz at Club, Club Bruges. And huge fan of Crepin Diaz. I think he uh, probably came on tonight to just watch him, just to keep an update on him. He's lightning quick, you know, he scores goals, he scored six and 12 this season. You know, he can create chances for players. And I think, is directness. He can also play right wing back as well, and left wing and, and right wing. So there's a bit of versatility there, which now in Premier League squads you need. And I think if, if we sign a player of that type who's quick and direct, who stretch teams, it opens up those spaces for Hammers to operate. And maybe as a ten, if, if we do play a four-two-three-one again, that lovely system that Marcus Silva you know, rode to death. I think that that type of you know, I like Ismail Assad as well, of course, of offer, but I just think he'd be too expensive. I think that's the you know, January, you know, in, in an idea, we'll be able to sign a player like that in January. But unfortunately, January is is a difficult market. So I, what I would market. say, so what I would say is, in in reality, unless we can sign a player that was going to be one of our players, we we're going to sign in the summer for a reasonable deal. Don't sign anyone else because you're just going to be throwing up money yeah. after bad. Sign Josh Kings, you'd probably be out the squad within twelve months. On he wants ninety grand a week roughly. They're not type of deals. Everton should be getting involved with the Chiefs UEFA Cup football within six months. And he might not even play that well. It's too much of a risk in short term, isn't it? The type of deals that we previously have been involved in and they've backfired on us. Are you looking at somebody like Ismail Assad? You're hoping, as as a as a somebody in recruitment, if you're Marcel Brand, you're hoping Watford maybe don't get promoted and it drops that price slightly? Or are you hoping that it, they, they squeeze through promotion and he sees his value uh, and Watford don't want to let him go? I'd hope that they don't get promoted because it gives you a bit more leverage. And the key with transfer is always leverage. And I think Everton, when buying, we seem to have leverage because I've noticed that Brands has done it quite well. He's lowered the price for a number of players. When we're selling, we've just got absolutely zero leverage a lot of the time. And being, why don't we get more for Garner Gay? Because he said he wanted to go there. And he had you know, so long left on his contract and he's 30. We can't wait around forever to sell him. It, you, it's, it's tough to sell players sometimes when you've got no leverage. And I think the leverage would be if it's a smaller side, if Watford didn't get promoted. Then we could sign. The issue for Ismail Assar has always been the price. They won £40 million for him. It's always been a price issue because when he moved uh, to Ron from, from Mets, that was £19 million. So already, in effect, that's a lot of money for a smaller French side. Yeah. Then they'll want, they'll want more. So they've got 30 off Watford and the price keeps escalating. And the, he is you know, a really good player, but you know, is he a £40 million player at this moment? Potential-wise, yes. Talent-wise, he still needs to be more consistent. So it's, it's a balance issue. Same with the Charles and thing. You've got to balance the lot. It's a trade-off, isn't it? It is, mate. Interesting little scoop from uh, from that side of the world, mate. Like that. That's there's people. You know, I personally wanted to ask you that question, really, just to see how far out you could go with that first answer, mate. I wanted to see whether we were going to be looking at some under twenty threes, sort of Senegalese individual from second division Belgium, and you you pulled it out the bag. To be honest, yeah. With you. <laughs> well, yeah, Ismail Asal is, yeah. So what we're going to do is we're just going to finalise this whole conversation wait, with something a bit more light hearted. We're just going to get one-word answers from you. Quick-fire question. I'm going to give you the statements of the question and you're just going to throw an answer back at me, mate. So He's I'm like quiz, st- he's quiz king. Be yeah. careful. He's absolutely on fire. Uh, somebody clicked the jingle for me. No, I'm not really joking. So, uh, so I'm going to start it off, mate. Bill Kenwright, one-word answer. 
ambassador. <laughs> Everton fans. Fickle. Tactically Pep or Conte? Pep. You're in the crazy house, Andy. And what floor is your choice? I think it was the third. Controversial. <laughs> Controversial shout. That was the, big, that was the biggest question I've got here, to be honest, mate. Can, should we just leave the rest of it? <laughs> your iconic Everton kit, Andy. Uh, it's not a one-word answer. The uh, grey and white Andrew Kachowski's kit. Beautiful. Love that. Love that. That's the one. Uh, that one in 17. The Last Dance on Netflix or All or Nothing from Amazon? Uh, the Last Dance. Yes. You're the director of football. Who is your dream target? My dream target? Oh, God. That's a, that's a difficult one. Uh, I'll just say, because I think he's the next big strike in football, Darwin Nunes of Benfica. Who replaces Ancelotti? Duncan Ferguson. I knew it! He rolled it! It's going to be John Abril. It's not going to be David Unsworth. Marcel Brands. Underappreciated. Recommend a film we probably haven't seen for us. Ooh, uh, Brick with Joseph Gordon like Joseph Gordon Levitt. I'm a, I'm a Joseph no, Gordon-Levitt like fan, so I'm writing that. Yeah, somebody write that down and just put no, it on the podcast notes. Kind of, so. Yeah, the got brick. that one. <laughs> and finally, Andy, where, where do we finish this season? Seventh. Straight down the middle answer with that seventh. There's no controversy, is there? There's no, High expectations. No Europe. <laughs> Andy's got Andy's got his plan set out for Everton, and, and if he said too high, it would have contradicted everything he said in the last fifty-five minutes. He's a realist. That's what he is. I'll, I'll use a quote by Jim Ratcliffe in Owen's niece. He called it. I don't want to get by a club in the Premier League because the Everton it's the Everton Cup we're playing for essentially, which is seven. That's what he called it. <laughs> so we, we're going to retain. We're going to win our trophy back this season. Good stuff, Brilliant. mate. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, Andy. Really appreciate you coming on and giving us some insights, yeah, thank things you that so we didn't much, know. Andy. Speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Mint Podcast. Remember to subscribe to keep up to date on new episode releases. You can like, comment, share and follow us on all social media platforms at Mint is Culture. You can also buy our Mint Citywide Trinity poster campaigns featuring Hammers, Richarlson, Big Dunk, Ancelotti, Kanchelskis and Southall at mintisculture.com forward slash shop. Mm-hmm.